This device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. Goes backwards, forwards. Takes us to a place where we ache to go again. It's not called the wheel. It's called the carousel. It was the best time of our lives. Getting money was all we ever did. Hello and welcome to the carousel. Today I have with me Last Things, who is a fantastic YouTuber, makes really incredible video essays. They are video essays, right? Yeah, we can yeah. we can call them that. Yeah, yeah, Dave Green was like, you know, very he was like, this is he was like, the video essay is over. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it, but so I don't know. I'm not a YouTube person really at all, except now I'm becoming one. But anyway, your your YouTube uh, video essays are about culture, through, usually through the lens of movies and TV, uh, but also yes. music. And it seems you almost seem like you should be like writing screenplays because you have really, really good ideas about like different ways that stories could be truer to culture could be more interesting you have a a great um three-parter about the boys Mm. Um, you have another one about bird box and uh quiet place which is is i think called like the left can't see and the right can't hear or vice versa uh the 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 left can't see, the right can't speak. The, yes. Oh yeah, the, the right can't see. The yeah, okay. The, le- the left can't hear either. So yeah, they can't do anything. <laughs> <Fine>. Totally. <laughs> Somebody just haven't hasn't made a movie about that one yet. Yeah, and then um, the other one that I really liked was uh, what was the other the middle one that you did? Uh, bla- uh, probably Black Mirror. Is oh there. yeah, Black Mirror. Yeah, you have a great one on on the USS McAllister uh, or Callister or whatever episode of Black Mirror. And actually, it's very very similar to the Boys episode because you're talking about a show that you had a lot of hope for as mm. being general genuinely countercultural or countercultural is probably not even really the word, more like cultural. <laughs> you know, right, like, yeah, yeah. Like, or, like, or, had some... just like cultural. What what would be considered cultural in any other era? Um, aka good. And right, then yeah, they, yeah. both of these shows kind of get hollowed out and rotted uh towards the end, where they they switch from being genuine critique to being kind of becoming the thing that they had supposedly been critiquing. Yeah, which I, 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 that's a really good, good way to, to, to put it, Isaac. And I think my, 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 my starting to observe kind of phenomena like that, um, is probably what kind of gave me the impetus to start the channel because it's not something I've, I, I kind of ever really observed, um, <laughs> growing up or, or like, you know, in, in previous eras, you know, I mean, granted when, you know, when, when I was, a kid or when I was growing up, we weren't necessarily living in like the era or the epoch of the, the series, the way that we are now, you know, I think it's, 
it's much hard. I think most of the, for the most of, most of the time, a, a, a movie is either corrupt or it's not because it doesn't have, you know, seven seasons to, um, to be sort of politically, politically corrupted. Mm, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a movie so is less susceptible, right? Because it's, uh, yeah. And it's yeah. sort of this, it, it kind of functions on this, I guess, level of what you might call like meta horror. <laughs> like there are some very disturbing and unsettling episodes of, of black mirror. And, um, you know, like, especially the earlier seasons. And I, I really love that show, but I have to say that the, no, none of the horror that existed when the show still kind of had its, its essence can really top the horror of the show's own succumbing to um, the woke Borg, <laughs> so, so to speak. Um, so yeah, so that's that's I guess some of the things that I um, I was observing that 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 got me making these videos. It's funny you mentioned Dave Dave Green, um, the distributist. Uh, he's actually somebody who um, was a big inspiration for me. Uh, I, I was a He's kind of who was my uh, my white rabbit, so to speak, when it came to YouTube, as well as a lot of my introduction to a lot of the people that you've had on your own um, your own show uh, and just this this sphere in general. Um, and I think part of why I kind of took up my, trying my own hand at videos was because um, he did he he did declare at one point that the video essay was was dead and I think he was going on hiatus because he was his he and his wife were about to have their first child and I was finishing up his back catalog right when that was happening and I and I kind of thought to myself oh damn I got to start making my own distributist videos <laughs> but yeah. out of content and this guy's not going to be. Um, not going to be making anymore anytime soon. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. These but are it, a little more political than yours though are right. I mean, yours are definitely political. You see art very much through the lens of politics. And one of the things you actually say that I, I, I think maybe does come from him also, but I want to talk about is why you say horror is fundamentally right wing. Mm, so mm. maybe maybe we can start with tell us about this first video the left can't see the, the right can't hear whatever it is and uh why was that the first one you made and um yeah what's your origin story what, what is last <laughs> yeah. things what is the the picture that you have on your youtube that's the man walking with the child what is that sure yeah and you know it's funny no, nobody's nobody's asked me about that image before I, that surprises me I, I thought i picked kind of an evocative um an evocative title, but, um, you know, I, I mean, broadly speaking, the, 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 the title last things is something that kind of came to me. It's, it's an obvious nod to first things, which is the, the Catholic periodical right. yeah. on culture. That our um, boy Lomez just, uh, blew the doors off. Yeah. Yeah. That was that, that, that kind of, um, that was, that was amazing seeing him, <laughs> Lomez get published and, and yeah. first things, um, you know, I mentioned Dave Green, who's obviously a, a Catholic as somebody who introduced me to a lot of kind of dissident, um, dissident right political theory, reactionary theory. I got into mold bug through Dave and a lot of a lot of Catholic thinkers um, in particular who I've I've really kind of come to rem- to admire. I was not 
I was kind of one of these like new atheists for a, a, a good chunk of my twenties um, and was kind of caught off guard and surprised by my, my admiration for a lot of thinkers that at least kind of, even if they're not overtly religious or three or theological are sort of nested in the Catholic tradition. Um, you know, reactionary Catholicism has sort of been the cradle for reaction. Um, mm. It is today. And, and it was, you know, a thousand years ago. Um, and yet I, 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 I am somebody that's raised secular and I, I struggle with um, issues of, of faith and, and religion. It's something I, I wind up spending a lot of time talking about on, um, on interviews on my channel. And, and I, I'm in general kind of very, uh, dismayed and pessimistic about um the state of culture and so last things you know i'm I'm certainly not attempting to mock first things i appreciate them but it it just sort of it seemed to uh communicate my my current um uh yeah my current mood (laughs) in terms of where we're at culturally Uh, i think a lot of the things that first things considers to be first you know family um uh, yeah, fam- I forget they have what their subtitle was exactly, but you know, fa- traditional Christian family values, truth, beauty, goodness are those things are not really first in our in our culture at this point. So uh, it's just a more it's more of a doom uh, doomer take on 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 first things. Got it. Well, um, in in branding and and marketing and copywriting, we call that unique but familiar. Oh, yeah. That's the core of all copywriting is you take something people recognize, then you just reverse one of the words. Right. right. (laughs) Which you did. And so it's great. No, I I think it's uh, it's. And I figured like first things would never interview somebody like Lomas and I'd have to do it. But now they're, you know, they're they're publishing like Twitter and ons. So. All right. Who knew? Um, But yeah, and I, I think the, you know, the. um the icon of, of the, the man and the boy kind of walking um, into this dark woods. Um, I, I had my first child. My, my first child was very young around the time I made that first video. Um, I was sort of entering into fatherhood at around the time that I was becoming, feeling more and more kind of displaced and disoriented and um, culturally kind of um uh le- less complacent and more um more more uh, unnerved by where I, I i felt like not not just things like you know movies and pop culture and entertainment were going but um just everything <laughs> everything in general um the the video that you mentioned on um uh the left can't the the left can't see the right can't speak um, is something that it, it, I saw both of those movies, um, the, the movie, a quiet place, which is about a family who's being stalked by this monster with just supersonic hearing. Um, and is clearly, I think kind of a, it's like a white Christian American rural family that cannot speak. So the whole movie is basically out, out of dial has zero dialogue. Um, and it's this post-apocalyptic movie. It's clear that these these monsters, wherever they they came from, have kind of taken over the world, and people are just 
survivors, the few survivors are trying to eke out an existence. Um, and that is kind of, I, I, I had, I felt a great deal of empathy for those characters because, you know, I'm in a really, really blue environment. Um, this was around 2018 that those movies came out, but, um, I sort of fell into our circle around 2016, right during Trump's election, when most of my friends and family were experiencing Trump derangement syndrome. (laughs) Um, So I I myself kind of felt myself to be this, um, this person that couldn't speak his mind. Ah, I see. Um, I got it. it. And I think a lot of people uh, felt that way. And another observation that a lot of people have had about that movie is that it was the, I wasn't the first to make this observation, but it's probably like still today, like maybe the last time I can remember a movie about like an intact white family, like, <laughs> like dedicated to one another, um, the, the husband and wife and, and, and children, um, that, that, that was, that, or at least that, that that's something that was depicted with, with, with tenderness, with, um, with reverence as opposed to, to, to being mocked or satirized or something like that. And that movie came out right alongside bird box, which for any listeners that don't recall or haven't seen it, it's a movie where basically the monster in that film is that is you never see the monster, but the, the premise, the horror premise is anybody that you see characters seeing this monster or whatever, this apparition, which is apparently so, terrifying that um yeah there you go i'm just sharing the screen for a second here sure i can see what we're talking about the the monster is so terrifying that that you basically immediately go insane your eyes turn red and you you attempt to kill yourself because you can't you can't handle the the terror and the 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 main protagonist of that movie is it's sort of the both the, the the monsters or the horror premises are these kind of strange reverse mirrors of one another with like yeah. this sort of sensory deprivation. Yeah. But the, the the protagonist of A Quiet Place being this family uh, is kind of um, the the obverse of that is Sandra Bullock's character in Bird Box. I, for, I forget. Who's like character. a single mom, right? Yeah, yeah she's like a pregnant yeah. woman with a lesbian sister who's like <laughs> a bohemian artist who's like contemplating giving up her child for adoption. Yeah. And... Who is of course the um, stand in for the longhouse matrons that are developing, you know, that's the yeah. development executive. Right. And so that's right. Why sure. I mean, <laughs> and the only know... reason why the white movie gets made, as you said, the only reason why um, quiet place gets made is because they're a couple Right, right. They're a real couple. Emily Blunt and Krasinski are an actual real couple. So they pushed that through. That would have never gotten made. I think that one of them wrote it or two or something. Didn't he direct it? I think he was involved with the script writing and he directed yeah. it. So that's right. why that happened. You know, it, it, that's why. Yeah. And because, and I, you know, it, as you probably know or don't, it, it's all stars. Now. Stars have 100% of the power of, to greenlight this or that. I believe it. I believe yeah. it. What's it? I mean, I have to say too. Like, I, I actually I admire a quiet place. I think it's really well done um, as a movie. But I, I, I'm kind of more fascinated. Maybe you have a term for this, or maybe this is this is something that um, uh, 
uh, we we can we can develop together, Isaac. But like the mm-hmm. thing about Bird Box is that it's it's this phenomenon that I call like accidental genius, because nobody who made that movie knew that they were making a movie about how stupid and shitty liberalism is, and yet it's the best movie ever made about how stupid and, and shitty liberalism. I'm sorry, I don't know if I can swear Wait, on this show. Quiet, which movie? Quiet Things? Or uh, Bird Box. Sorry, Bird Box. Oh, oh, oh okay. Well, d- tell, us it, why, so d- tell us why it's the worst movie about liberalism. Well, again, you, you, start, you have, this, you, you have this, this, this character who's the protagonist, who's this you know, pregnant, soon-to-be single mom, kind of miserable, neurotic, urban, <laughs> cosmopolitan woman. Yeah, right. Um, kind of future cat lady. And then future development of, executive. This right, is, right. I'm trying to get people to use the words development executive so they understand like who's actually in control around here. Right. I'll 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 help you get that to succeeding <laughs> okay. that in my tweets. But um yeah, I guess so after the first act of the movie, like her sister dies and she winds up stuck in this apartment with the group of survivors. And a group of survivors are basically sort of like your collection of multicultural sort of strangers stuck in a city together. You have like every sort of racial demographic, every um, kind of socioeconomic demographic and, um, you know, different, different sexualities. It's basically like the, the collage of American diversity. And these people all hate and despise one another and can't get along and are sort of um, suffer one another's company um, in a way that's just very off-putting. And, you know, there's one survivor who's another pregnant woman who's the the only sort of, she's more of a creature and a character out of the the, the world of uh, a quiet place. Like she's, like she she has a southern accent. She's just trying to get back to her husband before she has her baby, um, and just as kind of like a sweet simpleton. And you can tell that the the movie kind of holds her in contempt, even though she's the only character who is not themselves like you know miserable yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and annoying and petty. And and and. You know, I think that the the point I make in my movie, and I think that the the, the point that the that Bird Box makes beautifully, despite the fact that nobody who wrote this, directed it, or starred in it, had any intention of it making this point, um, is is the monster is that none of these people can sort of see how their liberalism, their progressivism, their cosmopolitanism has gotten them all to where they are, which is kind of atomized, deracinated, alienated, depressed, lacking any sort of sense of community or authenticity. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think anybody that was involved in the genesis of that movie would, would agree with anything I've just said about it. But aren't but, all these movies that? I mean, look at Last of Us. Look at uh, any zombie movie. Any of the millions of zombie post-apocalyptic creature features. Isn't it always a compound full of like perfectly diverse people? Yes, yeah. I, I think that the interesting component of um, 
Bird Box is the the they hate the, each other more. Well, the, well, the, no, the component and what what is that nobody can can see. Like in order to survive, the survivors wrap these, um, you know, wrap their eyes in, in blindfolds, and so there's this strange resonance that the uh, people in a quiet place can't talk and the people in bird box can't see. And I, I and I would say, I doubt that Krasinski or, uh, or Emily Blunt or anybody involved in that movie would ever admit that they were trying to paint some sort of portrait about the, the condition of the American family right. because they know they can't speak that, right. They had to make the movie because you can't, articulate that in polite company it's completely taboo um but i i i i'm very confident that there was an intentionality behind a quiet place but in some ways a bird box is the is is just much more fascinating because it has it is as it says what it says just as clearly as a quiet place does and yet it does so with everybody involved in the movie being utterly blind to what their movie is. <laughs> um, you know, so it's, it's nice. Nice. Well, so what is your point though? What What is your point? The left can't see the right can't hear. I mean, I, I of course have a sense of what you mean, but why don't you say it instead of me? Yeah. Well, I think uh, just the, um, the, the right can't speak, uh, I think, is probably pretty um, straightforward. I mean, here I am under a pseudonym right. uh, making cultural critique uh, <laughs> videos. Um, and, and I'm doing I'm doing that kind of online criticism because I think many people are in this situation. Um, these weren't conversations that I was comfortable having uh, with my community or with or with my friends or with people that I knew IRL. And I guess that kind of segues into my, my point about bird box is because the, the people within my kind of immediate environment um, either can't see or are unwilling to see. Right. Uh, or un- unwilling to, I think, um, entertain a lot of the, the arguments or observations uh, that um, the dissident right has, has to make. Right. Um, so we, we use this word noticing, right? When we're talking about like Steven Saylor. Yeah. Stuff, yeah. Like people like yeah. the left cannot notice, like they won't notice or they don't. Uh, right. Whereas the right does, they just can't talk about it. We're not allowed to. Yeah, like, exactly. Say. And I think in a, in a weird way, the, the monster of bird box is something that becomes the monster is the left's refusal and inability to notice. Right. And if that makes, if that makes sense, you know, I think it is, you know, again, I'm not spoiling very much here, but the monster is never depicted. And I think that's because it, it is just kind of this internal, it's, it's the ideological blinders that everybody yeah, has. Right. On. Um, and they're kind of their inability to look inward or to um, take stock of where we, where we are culturally. Um so yeah, so and and I'll say too, you know, the that video um this is getting this this is getting very close to being very doxy, but I I all of the, I I watched those things. I'd had my family and um I watched Bird Box in a quiet place when I 
I, I bought my first house and, um, you know, prior to probably 2016, I, I considered myself to be kind of a default liberal prior to getting married and, and having a kid. I was, I mean, I would consider myself a, a liberal. I was always somebody that was more interested in arts and letters and, and things like that. But, um, you know, once I started reading Nick Land and, and, and Moldbug, there was really no, no turning back. But another thing that I think kind of influenced me a lot was just observing the other families in my neighborhood who are were all like to a fault liberal and it was a very it was a very bird box community like i just you know I like all of the other families in my community um that were my age got well like wound up getting divorced and those marriages falling apart right around when my wife and i got pregnant with our second child and uh, I, I was just al- always noted, like, you, you, you know, the line from Anna Karenina, the Tolstoy line, all happy families are alike and all unhappy families are unhappy in their own unique way. Yeah, it's the first line. Um, it's the first line. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've got a video in the hopper about it. About it. Um, and it's just something that kept coming to mind again and again, because like every, you know, like the neighbors to my left were, you know, like a a gay couple that adopted a kid who is now like in trouble with the law constantly, or the neighbors to my right were like, you know, empty nesters, like baby boomer, empty nesters, whose like millennial kids were pushing into their thirties, but not giving them grandchildren. And so all of this like grandmotherly energy was being, uh, channeled into like obsessing about immigration policy uh <laughs> like you know like open borders or you know the other other houses were filled with people that like never never had families never got married or never had kids and it was like a wax museum of why and how liberalism can fail and it was happening i was observing all of this around me as i'm reading you know, like I walk home, I have several interactions with all these neighbors, and then I go home and I read unqualified reservations and um, watch Bird Box and A Quiet Place. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh man, I'm a, I'm I'm in, I'm yeah. in a bad spot. Monster Redfield, uh, do you? Yeah, you, yeah, you, and you, I, you, I, you I, I, monster. Yeah, I guess I, I kind of very much recognize my own position within the family and the characters of A Quiet Place. And I recognize my larger community. And, you know, this is a community like every single house but mine for a square mile has a Ukraine flag, Ooh, a, BL, yeah, a right. BLM same, same. yard sign, and a we believe in science. In, <laughs> in this household. Yeah, yeah. It's like they have all the bumper stickers everywhere. and 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 the community is kind of dysfunctional and cranky and lacks any kind of spiritual center. Well, they um, lack any morals at all. Right. It's, you know, the, the, it's all, um, none, none of their morals would lead them to act any differently towards their neighbors, towards their families, towards, uh, the people that are actually around them, you know, I mean, maybe in the workplace, they want to signal virtue and maybe when they see a black person, you know, uh, they're going to be extra nice. <laughs> you yeah. Know what I mean? But there's no actual 
morals, right? There's no actual beliefs. Their beliefs are, and this is a Nietzschean thing, pity. Pity is their beliefs. And and anybody that they can pity, uh, they, you know, anybody that they can look down their nose at is somebody that they're going to treat well. But any sacrifice, any um, difficult standing up for anything, they'll they'll never do it. You know, they'll they'll never do it, and unless it's you know they find themselves in a situation where a mob of angry white men are beating a minority in sure, public, sure. which of course doesn't happen. So you know they're they're waiting for this thing to happen that will never occur. What's funny is is it's um I mean what everything you said is is very true. Isaac. And it's, it's kind of what I, I don't think I would have ever really gotten invested or interested in religion as much as I have in recent right. years. If I hadn't kind of observed this community that lacks a religion, or I shouldn't say it lacks a religion because like the, I mean, when my neighborhood tries to have like, you know, community gatherings or, or anything like that, it's, it's always, it, it's always under the like the diversity is our strength, even though we're not really that diverse. But like, I don't know if you've heard the term like oikophobia, like fear of oikos is Greek for home. It's yeah. a it's a concept that's been kicked around a lot in our circles. I, I forget who, who maybe coined it, but it's basically like fear of the familiar and like the worship of the other, you know, so a- any kind of gathering, anything that might resemble like coming together on a Sunday in a church has to be couched in this oikophobic, like, you know, where uh, worshiping of the other and denigrating any kind of shared cultural uh, touchstones. Right. And, you know, I, I just kind of noticed that in the, you know, nature abhors a vacuum and in the absence of everybody in this community being Methodist or Catholic or anything like that, there's this sort of insidious demonic religion where the only reason people ever kind of congregate or get together is to, um, yeah, to, to go through that kind of pantomime. I mean, I don't know, like we, my, my, my community has had like, um, I, I don't know if you know what like a land acknowledgement is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's when you say we are on the land of the, Potawatomi, India. Yeah, yeah. Like, like they they paid money to to have like a Native American come and perform a ritual on our property and give us permission to live here. You know, which is like, so incredible because it's like, look at the story of the Comanches. It's like, it's like our people in New Mexico sitting around being like, we are on Comanche land. Like, are they really saying that? Because the Comanches straight up raided and utterly conquered every tribe for like you know four thousand you know straight miles or not four thousand whatever two thousand and you know so who are you acknowledging it it was a raiding society you're talking about raiding societies so it was whoever whoever was in control for you know 10 years and then it was somebody else in control because they were constantly raiding each other and taking each other's shit <laughs> so yeah, it's so yeah. funny it's just nothing could be more absurd yeah. than than a net land acknowledgement it's just the the retardation levels it's just right. through the roof. 
but there's, I mean, that's just one example, but like all of this, I mean, I, I just, I basically never leave my, my house now, or like, <laughs> well, so events, but they but have to be couched in some sort of, um, like, you know, it's just, it's very, it's very bird box. It's like, these people yeah. are kind of like, don't feel connected to one another and well, they don't so know why and they can't see what's wrong. But so let's talk about them for a second, because you and I both are people who are, you know, red pilled defectors from the liberal progressive bourgeois class. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, we see them from our where we're sitting as bird box people. You know, they, they have blindfolds on. You know, these are my, we're describing my friends like we're describing. This is why, you know, it's like there's this great quote that actually reminds me of a lot of your work, which is the woke is more correct than the mainstream. Yes. Yeah. I love that quote. It's a great quote. It's actually really hard to wrap your mind around what exactly it means. But what I basically think it means is that the woke's actual like view of the world, which is that white people and black people like kind of can't ever get along, (laughs) you know what I mean? Or like things like that um, is actually a more correct view than the mainstream's view. Right. And I like when I'm hanging out with people, I would almost rather like if I'm going to go out to like a weekend of drinking or something, I would rather go with a bunch of hardcore leftists than a bunch of normies. Because (laughs) at least the leftists are going to kind of like get it a little bit, you know, whereas the normies are just like they just seem like brainwashed zombies. You know, the shit that they say is just like totally nonsensical. And, you know. I used to say shit like that, but then I got red pilled. But I guess the the larger question is, like, don't you think you were probably always con- like right wing? That you know, that's a that's a great that's a great question, I, Isaac. <laughs> like I, I, I like looking so back, I definitely was. Like I was definitely really? I was always had these. I just had no way of like saying it, you know. But did you? But were you like me, and that you would? you would identify as liberal. Oh yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Dude, absolutely. Absolutely. I identified as liberal for a long time. You know, I did. And I identified as, you know, communist for a couple of years, (laughs) you know, but, but looking back, I just didn't have the, I had no connection to right wing anything like nothing. So I had no way of understanding that these feelings that I had and these perspectives that I had, uh, were right wing because it was just so off limits, right? It was like, it was like, oh no, you do not go past that line. So I just never even thought about it, you know? Yeah, and that's yeah. why it's so kind of perfect that Curtis Yarvin's famous piece is Letter to an Open Minded Progressive because that was that, big. That was seminal for me too. Like, that right. was, I mean, well, that's why he's such a red bull because it's like he is talking to, to people like me and he's providing us a way to understand being right wing that's not be catholic that's not you know uh, right. I, I do think you were never have sex you like whatever you know an interesting point there is that like i think if you give if you hand yarvin to a lot of people it's not gonna have that effect on them. well like i tried i tried to get a few friends yarvin. to read it i mean like yarvin's impossible to read yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, i tried to make it I tried to make my wife read them. She was she, she got through two pages and she was like, "I hate this. I can't." They I can't, can't even. It, dude, my dad is a PhD. He can't read Darwin. 
You know, like I, I like I have a little bit of you know, I am just high IQ enough to read Yarvin. And I still don't really it's like hard. You know, I still sure. don't like it. I think I still have tabs open up in my phone right. twenty sixteen that are like some of the links that he had in UR that I have not like gone and read yet. <laughs> like he's gotten better. Months. He's got his new stuff is much more accessible, but Yeah. 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 But um, yeah, I know it's, I think it's, it's something I ask myself too. I, you know, I was talking to somebody about this the, the other day. Cause one thing I ask myself a lot is, you know, was that like, I, I, I have this story that I tell about myself and maybe it's a bit of a fantasy that I tell myself where it's like, I'm just so big brained that, you know, as soon as somebody handed me uh, Curtis Yarvin, which uh, most people can't read it, but I read it and I got it. And that just like, you know, I've now I had the tools in my toolkit to to escape the matrix. But like, there's another side of me that's just like, or or did I just get old? You know, like, you know, like, there's that old cliched phrase, like, what's the difference between a liberal and a conservative 20 years? Right? You know, yeah. I, the one thing that I've asked myself a lot of times is if I had encountered, you know, if I had encountered Yarvin's blog when I was like, I don't know, like 20, 27, yeah. but un- unmarried, without any kids, just a young guy, a young self-proclaimed liberal guy trying to get laid and have a good time. Would, would it have any impact on me or would it, what is at least what kind of made me open to it or, or kind of fertile ground for those kind of ideas. The fact that I was in a stage of life now where I, I I'm not just thinking about myself, you know, like I, I have, a wife and child and, and children to think about. Um, yeah. And I don't, I'm sorry. Like, I don't even know if I ever adequately explained the, no, the visual, I, but I, yeah, that's my, yeah, that's supposed to kind of be me and my kid and me trying to figure oh. out just how to, how in, in God's name, I, I help shepherd this child through, you know, uh, like transgender, ch- transgenderism in grade schools and like, you know, shitty star wars prequels and <laughs> everything else that's, <laughs> that's gonna the, be coming out that's his the big worry is the shitty star wars yeah yeah, so, yeah so we're talking about this image here what is this image actually from you know i don't know I, I i haven't been sued over it yet my my wife is a really like she as a hobby does kind of graphic art and she's who put all of that together for me oh great no you won't get sued over it but uh, it's great. It's a great image. And I, I totally dig it. And I I don't know, though. You know, I, I think um, I kind of genuinely, like, <laughs> more and more, I think that people are just born left or right. Yeah. Like, I, I don't really think you have any choice in the matter. I mean, I, I remember when I was, you know, I was born in the most left-wing possible environment. Hmm. The most left-wing possible parents in the most left-wing possible situation. Uh, totally brainwashed my entire life. And I remember when I first read The Fountainhead and I was like completely changed, you know? And that was young. You know, I first read The Fountainhead when I was really young. And you either so you know have, you have you it in or you don't, phase. right? What? Did you, you, so you went through a libertarian phase? Yeah. Oh, well, see, I don't even think I had like a... <laughs> No, I mean, I think then I probably still was voting, would have voted Democrat. But still, like, if you, if the fountainhead resonates with you, you're a right-wing person. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just you don't necessarily have the framework when you're so deep in the culture, especially 
especially people like us are like obsessed with movies and stuff too right so like like a lot of these people who are born and raised right wing you know they don't have they're just completely not like us you know they're just in another place entirely you know like i mm-hmm. and you you can just feel it you know you can just feel like some people are just straight up left wing you can just feel it you can feel like they're marxism you know like <laughs> and, and it, it really bothers them like you know like if you say like any minority or any gay person or anything if you say anything bad like you can t- they just like it hurts them you know it hurts them mm-hmm. to hear it and uh I've just never been like that, you know, like I've never been like, I mean, well, yeah, so Isaac, I'm curious race a little bit, but yeah, you, you, you meant, well, you mentioned, sorry, I'm not trying to turn the interview. Around. No, 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 no. no. It's, it's I, mean, I mean, you mentioned that you did consider yourself a, a liberal and you've alluded to having a, a lot of kind of liberal, liberal friends, but did your, did your red, red pilling impact friendships? Like, Oh you, yeah. Are you, you kidding? Lost no. Dude, I still don't talk to most of the people that I talked to before Trump. You know, it was a it was a rocky road and certain people got cut like later. But I don't talk to hardly anybody. I mean, like I'm I'm increasingly an online person, you know, I which I don't necessarily like suggest i'm in the same same boat like i I lost i lost a lion's share of my my friendships and now i'm like you know i'm in my i'm in my 40s and i feel like i'm starting over with like finding friends and that's i got a lot of online friends but it's right well and that's why it's great to meet up when possible with the people in our space because it you know it's uh it's not good to be entirely an internet person i don't I don't Mm -hmm. agree with that. And I I don't think that that brings happiness to you, to people. And, you know, I feel that more and more, the deeper I get into the internet, the the more I feel that. And then the harder it becomes to be in the real world also, because, you know, the more you're just uploaded on all these ideas that no one else has, and it's just becomes harder and harder to like talk to people. Yeah. Um, which is not great. You know, I, I think that that's a way of control. That's a way that's, a you know, that you say that you're, you're, you're gradually uh, moving into more and more of a quiet place. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. I can't See, talk. I can't talk out loud, but basically. No, but I, I know exactly. I mean, the phenomenon that you're describing, I, I know exactly. Exactly. So with you, did you, uh, were you Trump 2016? I was honestly like I was starting to like it literally coincided with Trump. Like when Trump, yeah, well, like right when Trump won was probably like the week, the same week that I kind of like admitted to myself that I was now like you were happy about it, (laughs) not a liberal. Yeah, yeah. Like everybody around me was like the sky is falling. Yeah, and I was like kind of laughing. A lot, and I was like, I think I was kind of. It's like the closest I've had to like a religious epiphany or something like that, where I was like, Oh my god, yeah, this is great. I remember the moment. I remember the. I like. I have a very clear memory of exactly where I was and exactly what I was doing, and it was great. I was like elated, you know. I was incredibly happy, and I, I wasn't really ready to feel that. Like I didn't know. I mean, I was pro, you know, and that's when I started losing people, including jobs, including you know, losing a lot of stuff. But uh, I was so happy when that happened, you know, and it was just like, well, 
you know, what am I going to do? Like pretend, you know, I'm not going to like, I, this is just, this is what I am, you know? Yeah. It's very hard too to like, I mean, I, I, I tried kind of, I, I, I'll tell you something, Isaac, I actually had like the worst OPSEC when I started with this, like when, when I first encountered this stuff, cause I was honestly surprised. I think a lot of my friends and people I knew were surprised at me, but I was equally surprised at them because I kind of, I, I must be pretty foolish, but I just kind of had walked through life up until that point, assuming that most everybody that I was French friends with was like as kind of open to new ideas and yeah. new information yes. as I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I kind of just hit this brick wall that I had no idea was, was there. Cause I like, I mean, I kind of learned quickly and, and, and shut my mouth, but at least initially I was, I'd go to my, you know, people I've known for a long time and be like, Hey, you know, this, this guy, Yarvin is like, uh, you got to read this, this thing on, <laughs> on, on, you know, what, what climate change or IQ or whatever. It's like, yeah, it's a lot of sense. This is great. Like, isn't this great? And they'd be like, what? No, you, you monster. Yeah, you monster. Well, and then, yeah. and then what was really great is that Trump happened and we saw the first like volley, right? We, and, and we were all very surprised. I, I was shocked too. I was like, oh, wait a second. This is fucking America. You know, like, what do you mean you're going to fire me and not talk to me because I, I'm voting for somebody? You know, like that was just even that alone beyond any of the beliefs was enough to make me be like, no, what is happening? You know, and, and it was so shocking for so many of us, I think. And then COVID happened. And then we saw that times 10. We saw how it's like war. You know, it's like, you know, when, when you have this thing of war and then. How did all they, they all become Nazis? How did they all become communists? You really saw that, you know, like mm-hmm. it, we really saw with COVID and with Trump, how that happens. You saw right. people just blindly following and screaming and, and, you know, you see that there's this like emotional, like all the stuff you read about in 1984, you think, oh, but my society's not like that. And then really this was our learning. Our society is like that. Like with Trump and COVID right in a row, you saw, holy shit, like liberalism is really also a totalitarian, like mind control regime, you know, just like these other things are, you know, it's just better at it. You know, it's just better than fascism or communism, which both in a way sprung up against liberalism, you know, like their reactions to liberalism, you know, liberalism just is the king that, that won, um, yeah. So, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. I had a, like an old friend is somebody that I, I kind of um, fell out of, <laughs> fell out of intimacy with due, due to all of this stuff. And they, but they like texted me a while ago and not being, you know, not being aggressive. And I think even being kind of like a, just a bit sad and, and whimsical and just said like, kind of texted me out of the blue and was like, you know, what, what, what happened? You know, like, I think they kind of missed, our friendship and all I could really think to write back was reality forked, Mm. you know, reality forked because I know that there's no amount of like, there's just when when two people have, this is when friendship sort of becomes impossible is when, when two people have entirely different truth regimes. Right. Yeah. And I just knew like, you know, there's no, there's no quote source and I hate offering sources that I can offer 
that this person is going to consider to be legitimate and vice versa. You know, like I, my priest is the internet schizo in their underpants, you know, living off of their Patreon and their source is the New York times. Like that's, that's their, that's their temple and um, or cathedral. Right. And there's just no, that, that it's, it's different truth regimes. It's, it's different realities. And there's just no, no amount of, there's no real way to navigate that. So I, how I, did this person react? What did they say back? I don't think they wrote anything back. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I have yet to get any of those. I have no, I mean, I'm such an outspoken asshole that it's like, you know, anybody who's like, anybody who knows me, like in my personal life it, it is probably being like, motherfucker, you deserve, like, I am so not like a victim. You know what I mean? Like I'm, you know, all these jobs that I've ever had that I've gotten like, you know, varyingly fired from because of this, like, you know, it's not like I was just like minding my own business. Like I was definitely like being outward <laughs> about it, you know, so it's, go it's, out, it's probably better than like, you know, somebody right, finding right. your non-account. And, yeah. If like, I had, if I, if I had wanted to just get along in any of these jobs, I absolutely could, you know, there's no question about it. It's not like they came for me because I was just like, sitting quietly and then not agreeing. So it's not that bad, but, and I have never had anybody yet come to me and say, I had one guy, actually, that's not true. I did. I had one old friend after he wrote me like in the middle of Trump, like just the meanest emails you could ever fucking imagine, (laughs) you know, just out of nowhere. And I was getting this all the time. I was getting it from uncles. I was getting like, you know, creepy three word messages in the middle of the night. Like you're a fucking idiot or like, you know, why don't you shut your fucking mouth? And this guy was an old friend, one of my best friends from growing up. And he just wrote like this crazy email, just like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. (laughs) You know, just insane shit. And then years later, a couple of years later, he, uh, he did reach out and say, Hey man, I'm sorry. I acted that way. So that's, I did have one of them too. That's nice. And then anyway, you just, all right, let's, just let's, send him a link to, to like uh dark enlightenment or. Wait, what? Your friend, you you, you could just email oh, him back yeah. and link to Nick land or something. Or that Spander. wasn't happening. That's what I'm saying. Like a guy like that, he's a spiritual leftist. He's never going to come around. You know, it's it. He's not they, like, they're never, there's these people they're not gonna come around you know they're they're not gonna like one day read the bold bug and get it you know they, they're just not built that way they're they're built they're people who look it works for a reason you know it's it's like this is what Nietzsche really helps with for me is like um he perfectly articulates the state of the last man and this is a hundred years ago, and he just nails it. And it's this rootless, religionless thing, right? And where do you go? What do you attach to? You attach your will, which you know, will it becomes this warped, like you know, it gets in this warped container of pity, and uh, and pity is without religion. It's where the will of your normal everyday person, it's where it goes because it has nothing to cling to. And this is where we see effective altruism. We see, you know, vague reform Judaism. 
you know, uh, right. any of these churches with rainbow flags on them, since they've lost the rules, they have no fucking rules anymore, right? So there's no rules because the rules are don't be gay, get married. You know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. they don't want the rules anymore. So where do they go? They go to pity. They they default endlessly to this notion of pity because actually what pity is is personal supremacy. So it's still your will. It's just warped in this disgusting, gross way, right? And uh, I think that that's what's happened to these people. And and there's no way to get them out of it by their own choosing. The only way is going to be by, you know, taking over culture, basically. You know, and I was I was going to ask another sheep. Do you so you're, are you someone who feels like we're at we're at peak red pill? At what do you point? mean by that? You mean like the people that are going to be oh. persuaded have been persuaded? Like we're we're at sort well, of our, I mean, the population of the dissident right is not going to grow right. beyond its its size. Well, so here's what this is a great thing to talk to you about. So did you see the uh, Delicious Tacos documentary that got funded? I have not documentary. I, the movie. I've heard. I've heard about it. I. Um. I haven't. I think is there a trailer or there's some video clip that I got bookmarked, but I didn't. I didn't play it yet. So, delicious tacos. Do you read him at all? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, it's really impossible to call him a right wing person, but for some yeah. reason he is, and he is because I guess he's based. He's saying the truth about men and women. You know, he's saying true things, and which kind of makes him right wing. But he's also his, a guy. His fan base is right wing. Yeah, his fan base is right wing. But actually, as a guy, Tacos is kind of one of these people that I'm talking about. That you know, his soul is left wing, and most artists' souls are left wing, and not a lot of them, anyway. Hmm. And uh, he's being cultivated by this guy Asher Penn, who I had on this podcast a couple times ago. Yeah, yeah. and Asher Penn is totally a lefty type of guy, and he's you know runs Sex Magazine, which is ultra degenerate. It's really just trying to be the new vice, whatever, right? Yeah. So this whole world of the cool culture mill, like Dime Square, all these cool culture kids, right? They, uh, can they be converted? They're leftists at, at their heart, right? I don't think they can ever be converted to what we are, right? Which is genuinely right-wing people. But they can be like, turned off of this shitty globo homogeneous uh, (laughs) bullshit, right? They can be turned off to that. And you see them creeping closer and closer to us. You see guys like Asher Penn who would never fuck with us in, in any other circumstance unless he absolutely had to. You know, these Dime Square people fuck with us because they have nowhere else to go. They, they simply cannot be cool and just keep doing left-wing shit all that. It just, it's not cool. Nobody cares. Nobody watches it. Nobody's interested in it. So, <laughs> so culture has, it, it's wanting so badly to swing right. It's like pushing right so hard uh, because the, you know, the longhouse is stopping it. The longhouse is saying, no, 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 you know, you don't go right. Don't go right. But it wants to go right really, really badly. So, you're seeing these like very edgy art people like Asher Penn, like these Dime Square people. They're embracing people like Tacos because 
That's the only place that they have to go. And I think Moldbug, his recent blogging and everything, is <clears throat> trying to get people to embrace that more and more. Like he wants he wants to grab those left wing, you know, arty edge people and bring them to us, you know, which I think he's doing to a degree. Um, so I do think that there is some we here's Peachy Keenan puts this in a great way. I don't think we're going to make any more of us, right? I think, I think you're like the, the maybe younger people, right? I think Jordan Peterson does a great job with that. Uh, right. People who are right wing are going to be right wing. And I think now there's enough content that they're going to find us, right? And the beacon is there. I don't mm-hmm. think we're, we need to work on that so much. I think what we need to work on is making our tent way better than their tent, you know? <laughs> and we're doing that. That that's exactly what's happening. It's like you know the, the spaghetti westerns, right? Like during the Hayes Code in Hollywood, they banned violence, you know, in the screen. So what happened? All the great movies went to Italy, and they got made in Italy, right? Like that's what we have the opportunity to do right now because they are done. They, they're they've decided to not make anything good at all. So we can make great shit, and the more great shit we make, the more. Uh, culture will come to us if not actual people well said well said yeah i i think that's i think you i i you've clearly thought about it and i i i think i agree yeah there's not um it's not exactly us that will be replicating but um kind of attracting kind of a second order <laughs> right wing person to hear if you can make it cool enough. Um, right. Which is a big challenge, but yeah. Uh, especially when I, you know, when I find things that I do, I do find cool or have, have a bit of teeth to them or a bit of kind of right wing cultural um, cat cachet. I, I mean, this is what my video on the boys is, is, tacitly about to some extent is i i see it immediately get kind of long housed you know oh that's a phrase i should i want to get that phrase circulated when something's been long housed oh yeah that means that like it was it was based and it became it paused. became long house and you really do a great job laying out how both black mirror and the boys got long housed in a major oh, way they both got long house hard I really, I think like the boys, you know, if, if it, if it had been allowed to kind of continue on its trajectory, the way that it was kind of in season one, for the most part, um, I, I think it would be like, maybe even the first instance that I can think of other than, I don't know, like a film like Fight Club, a, a contemporary instance of a piece of pop culture that, that would be kind of unequivocally right wing in its, in its sensibility. Like we would be get, we would have Homelander memes proliferating Twitter and it would be kind of our flagship show. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's really frustrating, you know, like seeing this stuff happen to, to TV shows, it's sort of like, I was describing it to somebody uh, a while ago, like another movie, movie buff, you know, if there are plenty of movies out there in the era of the movie not the era of this, the epoch of the series that we're living in through now, but like, you know, that are, that are critiques of movies, you know, like the unforgiven to talk, speaking of spaghetti Westerns, the unforgiving 
Forgiven is just a critique of Westerns. Like the whole movie is sort of an anti-Western film. You know, it's, it's sort of undermining the myth of the lone gunman, you know, and it's much bleaker, darker, uh, grayer portrayal of the, the, the wild West, you know, but it's its own thing too. It's its own object. And I, I sort of describe that as like, you know, okay, well, if somebody wanted to make a critique about Westerns. And so, you know, it's like two armies, they lined up on opposite sides of a field. They charged each other. The cavalry fought. Everybody can kind of work out for themselves who they thought the winner is. But, you know, when you look at like the kind of stuff that happened with the boys, it's more like it's it's more akin to like watching Agent Smith just suddenly possess a body <laughs> in the Matrix. You know, like a minute ago, that was a cop. But now it's, a, <laughs> now it's Agent Smith. You know, it's 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 so much more underhanded That's and funny. and devious and. um and and horrifying, you know. Like I I I always kind of come back to that phrase yeah. when I when I observe these things because you know you can there, there is something there is something terrifying about it because up until today I've never I've never experienced like a artifact of media kind of change its tone yeah midstream like that and it's there's oh, such an un, there's such a Strange uncanniness. Yeah, keep going, keep going. Sorry, I want to find you had. I put down a time code. You have oh, enough wow. really. You put this really, really well in one of your videos. What you're saying right now, but go, keep going. I'm getting quoted. I don't know if yeah. I've ever been quoted. This is exciting. Oh, yeah, um, I yeah, I don't know. Sorry, I'm, I may have lost my, my my train of thought. No, oh dang, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to uh, to knock you off. You were just saying it's like it's like Agent Smith. You've never seen it. Shit, yeah, I, that way it's horror horrific. Yeah, it it is. I like I find it just kind of something about it is very ter- terrifying because it's um it's like so it's like watching somebody's face change. Yeah. You're familiar with. You well, know? and you talk so much you you put this all very well in your videos. You really when you start get going, you start riffing, you you do this one thing where you kind of like reenact like the speaking of development executives the development executive like moment. <laughs> and you, yeah, see, yeah. you do that a lot. You like say, Oh, I think that they were sitting here and some guy walked in the room and was like, Hey, we need to fix this up in this way. And I think you're completely right about, about the way that you see these things happening. It's a little more insidious, you know, like I've seen it here and there. It's not quite so abrupt, you know, but mm. um, I think you do a, re- I think you have a really good understanding of like how these things happen. Uh, let me see if I can find, that we can fight? Well, to depict any of today's Sorry. evils, global capital would have to look inward. Oh, here we go, yeah. Which is not something it is capable of doing. This proliferation of Nazi antagonists are global capitalism's way of saying, look, guys, we get it. We are incapable of telling a moving original story. All our cultural output is shit. But You all remember what happens when we start to identify with elements of our humanity that exist outside the forces of the marketplace, right? Nazis. That's what happens. (laughs) Now, have some more Coke. That's that's exactly what I... I'm so glad I pulled that up because that was exactly the part I wanted to pull up. Uh, Yeah, now have some more Coke. It's a beautiful image. What what you're saying. And, And you're saying, yeah, dude, that is so perfectly put. You're saying that they're... okay. 
this kind of, I just want to set this up a little bit. In the beginning of this video, you talk about this Deleuze idea of deterritorialization and re-territorialization. Mm. Can you just say what those things are really quick? Yeah, I think, well, I think that might be, I think I talk about deterritorialization in um, the Black Mirror video. Uh, oh, wait, but, is that, okay, but it's still the same concept that you're getting to here. So, so. Yeah, well, so, I mean, broadly speaking, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to pin down because Deleuze is the uh, insanely complicated writer. And it's not even, I think, his, his concept. I mean, broadly speaking, in the broadest terms, deterritorialization, uh, uh, like, the fact that we use our mouths to make words is an act of deterritorialization because our mouths are supposed to just eat food, right? We have, we as human beings have reappropriated our teeth and our tongue ah, and our gums and our lips to, um, to create language. So the original sort of organic purpose has been kind of reappropriated by, by our species, but how people usually use it now and, and how Deleuze prim- primarily uses it is in much more of a kind of Marxist sense, which is uh, deterritorialization is um, can be an act of taking something cultural that was considered a, a, a domain that is sacred and removed from the market, removed from the marketplace and uh, deterritorializing it. So, I, I mean, something like, I'm, I mean, I'm spitballing here, but like birth control is something that deterritorialized sex. Sex was something that was, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, definitely not really, not, not really subject to capital or to market forces in the way that it is after the advent of, um, of, of birth control. Um, <laughs> And then re-territorialization is really when the market reasserts itself on um, on that uh, that that deterritorialization. So there's really never any full escape or any real line of flight, so to speak. I, I mean, I think an an example of this that I've um, I've heard a few times is if you think of something like Uber, Uber sort of deterritorialized, um, like taxi services right it, it's something that completely kind of reinvented and outcompeted taxi ta- the, the older form of um of you know commuting or getting a ride <laughs> yeah. um, and yet it's sort of if if somebody remade the movie taxi driver but travis bickle was an uber driver they just did <laughs> they, they, they oh, just did they really I just watched a movie last night that's fantastic called Bolt Driver that is exactly that. Right. Well, I mean, what I was about to say is like, it's still going to be the same movie, you know, like Travis Bickle is still going to be kind of an alienated creep. Um, And, and, uh, you know, despite whatever kind of technological innovation uh, maybe evolved uh, cab driving to Uber driving. Um, so yeah, so re-territorialization, I guess to uh, I boil that down is, is sort of when something gets deterritorialization is taking something out of the, out of the sacred realm and, and the re-territorialization would be kind of, yeah, we're commodifying yeah. it when, when a new form of cultural control kind of comes and, and, um, grabs that, that energy. That right. So in the, in the Black Mirror episode, 
you use two examples of this. One is USS McAllister or whatever, which we won't get into. But my all-time favorite Black Mirror episode is uh, 150 million merits or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Daniel Kaluuya's first thing, what made him big. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's amazing how many people that show made big. Like after I watched your thing, I went back and like watched, like skimmed a couple episodes. I was like, so many people are in this. But that was Daniel Kaluuya's big first thing. And what happens in that is it's this horrible dystopian world where everybody's stuck in their, you know, porn filled little chambers and they can't get out if they do this, blah, blah, blah. Finally, the Daniel Kaluuya character goes on like the equivalent of an American idol and he threatens to kill himself, right? Which is this like final act of amazing rebellion. It's like exactly what he does. And then the final part of the episode is showing that he now goes on stage and gives these anti-establishment rants and threatens to kill himself every episode. Right. He he gets commodified. He gets re-territorialized, right? His rebellion gets turned into money. You know, it's the great uh, Clash lyric, ah, you think it's funny turning rebellion into money. They've done this for a long time, right? It's, It's that they can buy people off. That's what they want to do. Yes. Um, and so what I think what we're large, you know, a big theme in your work is is turning art into something that is like re-territorialized or usable for them in a way, right? Isn't that kind of what you're saying in that quote? That it's yeah, like- and and I well, I I think the big point that I was I was trying to make in, in that in that video is is that episode that the microcosm of that episode with black mirror and what happens to daniel kaluuya's character is actually what eventually the fate of the show, the show yeah exactly black yes. itself. and i think that's what you're saying about all these things you're saying that's it, when when um uh the boys got agent smith it started yeah. out as this genuine critique and then it became the thing it was critiquing. It it ended up yeah. becoming taken over by global capital, pretty much, right? And global yes. capital has these certain narratives that they like, uh, it, which are all related to ripping roots out. You know, it's all mm-hmm. like what they want us to be. You know, is the sum of our clicks. They they want us to be our likes, right? And that's what this is basically about. It's removing all of the, that's what the boys becomes about with this character Stormfront who comes in later. And um, so there's an interesting point here though, which is, which is like, and I've never heard anybody say this before. You're saying that like global capital who's in control of all this stuff, they're turning boys woke. They're turning black mirror into not a horror film. But you're saying that in a way, in doing this, they're acknowledging what's so cool about what you're saying. You're saying that like in the case of the boys, where this character Stormfront, it becomes all about racism, it becomes Nazis. They're saying, they're admitting what they're doing. They're admitting we can't tell truly critical stories about ourselves, right? That's what Mm -hmm. culture would be. Good culture is critical of, you know, I don't of itself, know, culture, yeah. but of itself. That's what, you know, any Kubrick movie. Kubrick <laughs> was a great director because each one of those movies is laced with like a really dark perception about what's going on around us. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
that's what great art does. It all contains this little kind of dark, you know, it's like perfume. It has this like, it's at the core of all of it. There's like something really disgusting and, and terrible. Maybe not all, look, you know, does Jaws sure. do that? I don't know. Maybe not. Like Jurassic you Park. Talk to the, have you talked to the guys from uh, Art of Darkness? Yeah. Yeah. I talked to Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, you're you're speaking their language. Yeah, that's what they say. And maybe it's not all art. You know, some art's just fun. Yeah, whatever. You know, I'm not saying it all has to be this way. But truly great art generally tends to come with some part of that. They're saying they can't do that anymore. They're admitting we cannot deliver that anymore. But the the way that they justify it is that they say when you do do that we all become Nazis because then we regain our patria. Then we regain our racial identity. We regain, you know, man being in control of the family. And if we go there, which is the only way to critique this beast, then right. what happens? Hitler, <laughs> right? Like yeah, no, it's, it, it is, it, it is. I, I think you said that, that really well. And it is kind of, it's interesting, especially as, you know, this it becomes, you know, more and more of, the distant past, you know, pretty soon everybody that was involved in World War II is is not going to be here anymore. But there's still this, you know, we're still fighting World War II <laughs> right. in a lot of these movies. Yeah, um, subliminally, in a in a weird way. Um, you know, Paul Gottfried ha- has a lot of interesting things to say about this. He's got a book called like Anti Fascism: The The History of a Movement, and I, I think one of his major theses is is that like what American culture is or what liberalism, we, we aren't necessarily liberal or progressive fundamentally, but in, in some way, what our culture is, is just anti-fascism. It's just the, um, the cultural umbrella, the meta narrative is just preventing any sort of fascistic cultural, uh, lead motifs from developing um which i don't know i think that's i mean that's that's really something interesting to contemplate but i think hopefully i mean it certainly was the case in the with the boys and i think it's i think the nazi or the crypto nazi villain is just something that's getting harder and harder to sell to people well Um, it's it's just such a good point and that's interesting to hear who did you mention that wrote that about uh, Paul, Paul Gottfried. Oh, Gottfried. Okay. So I don't agree. I mean, like, I don't think that we are fundamentally anti-fascist. What we are is individualists. And again, like, the reason there is a reason why liberalism won. There's a reason why it beat out communism, fascism, monarchism, you know, whatever the South was, you know, aristocracy. <laughs> You know, like there's a reason why it won, you know, it it won for a reason. And Mm -hmm. so it's not, I don't think it is in and of itself an evil thing. You know, I'm not with Moldbug on that. I don't think Western liberalism is evil on its own, right? It's evil when it gets longhoused and it's evil when it gets taken over by people who can't, who are totalitarians, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's when it's evil. America in and of itself is great. I mean, it was, you know, it's just, uh, it certainly worked pretty well for a long time. 
It's mm. just we're now at the stage in which very bad actors have unfortunately gotten to the top of it. And as you're saying, the they are no longer allowing critique. Like that's done now. So, and that's why I think a lot of people talk about how culture feels frozen because they're, they're not allowing it. And and that's why they keep, as you say so well, they keep going back to Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I think I'll, I'll, Isaac, I'll, I'll know when we've won when I'm able to watch a movie or a show and I don't hit that moment of realization where I, I realize I'm no longer watching the movie or the show and instead I'm watching what I assume was like the cutting room floor conversations in yeah. which, well, what, what do you call them? The executive, the, the showrunner woman. Element the, executives. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, when that person has stepped in and uh, it's, it's like that, it's like that moment in Mulholland drive when they go, this is the girl. And they point at the, <laughs> at the picture that's of. Why it's such a of, good, of that's Brina. why it's such a great, you know, BAP has that whole episode on that moment. And I've always loved that moment. You know, this is the girl. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of this is the girl. I mean, more and more and more. Everything is this is the girl. Yeah. And I think it's, I, I would love, you know, really I'm just doing what I'm doing so that we can get back to a place where I can watch movies again and not notice myself paying more attention to what's going on behind the curtain yeah. of the production. Right. And I'm just immersed, you know, I, I can't remember the last time I was just in a flow state of watching a piece of cinema, you know, unless I'm going, unless I go back and watch old movies. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so that's, that's something I miss. And uh, I guess that's, <laughs> that's partially why I, I started making the videos. So what are you going to do next? What's your next topic? Uh, well, I've got a video that I was editing earlier today. I'm kind of, I'm still sore because uh, uh, academic agent was running a video essay contest and I really wanted to submit this, um, but I couldn't get it done in time. Um, my kids got sick and that kind of does it, <laughs> does in your ambition, but it's, uh, it's on, um, uh, the Sandman adaptation, or I guess both the, the comic book, Neil Gaiman's The Sandman, which was a real a beloved and favorite comic of, of mine when I was a teenager, and talking about the, the Netflix adaptation, which, of course, is, you know, completely cucked, um, but also t- using it to talk about um, some ideas of, of Hegel's and Greek tragedy um and so and you'll like the and some Nietzsche too some the, the Dionysian and the, the Apollonian um so that's just going to be a one-off video I've still got to finish my third chapter in a three-parter I did on the magicians which is a terrible show um and then I, oh good don't bother don't watch, <laughs> watch my critique um I've I, and you know I've, I've got it's funny it's just it's so hard to to carve out the time, the, the more based you are, you know, this Isaac, the more based you are, the less time you have for cultural production because you have responsibilities. But I, I've had a laundry list of um, videos that I've, I've, I've had planned for a long time now. I, I'm planning on doing one on so the way I kind of work. And this is only because I don't have um, my, my, my IQ is not sufficiently high to where I can grasp a lot of philosophical concepts 
without the ballast of a movie. <laughs> Don't worry about that. It, uh, you know, IQ is such a silly thing. You know what I mean? No, I don't. I don't even think it's it's something that makes me makes me sore. And I I, I love reading philosophy, but I, I I just the way that I have to kind of grok and get the get a lot of philosophical concepts or philosophical thinkers down into my bones is to start asking myself i kind of start every video by saying okay well what would the move like what would the ultimate movie about heidegger be or like what's the ultimate nietzschean movie um you know i i I fell in love with this format when i watched zizek's a pervert's guide to cinema yeah um, back years ago um and i always wanted to kind of do something like that um so i've got a series planned that i'm going to probably jump into next on um George Bataille and the film uh, Midsommar. Yeah. And I've got another one um, that I'm probably not going to be able to get to until the summer. Wait, is George Bataille, what did George Bataille do? Uh, He was a French, um, I guess you could call him like post-Marxist. He's famous for like the idea of like the solar economy. And Mm. um, he has this idea of of excess and... um, he did, he wrote a lot about potlatch, like the idea of like that Native American ceremony where you burn all of your belongings. Oh, wow. He's a very weird dude. It'd be hard, <laughs> you know, it would probably be harder to, to describe him than it would be to describe Deleuze. Um, but yeah, and uh, I've got another, um, I'm going to do a one on Deleuze's, some of Deleuze's more like positive and affirmative ideas and, and fight club. Um, Fight Club and the the Nomad War Machine, which is kind of one of Deleuze's most famous concepts. So it sounds like you're getting into philosophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I mean, it's always been a an interest of mine. That and movies. So I figure I'll just keep and match the two, throwing them into a blender. Dude, dude, I think it would be a great YouTube headline. To have the most Nietzschean movie ever, the most you know, I think. The, oh, that that's that's that's, yeah, that's that's good marketing advice, actually. Yeah, I, like that. I think that that would be really, uh, really um, very successful. I mean, you already do great YouTube videos, but also what you really should do is write a screenplay. I think you've got an incredible, uh, you know, when you do these like riffs in your stories about or in your essays about like you start your um i I think it's the the boys one with this amazing hilarious like joke or idea about killing your future selves that everybody should watch because it's hilarious and it's (laughs) worth it's worth a video on its own and it's so good i mean it's like really really good and then you you know you kind of like there's another part in the boys where you say like, well, this would have been better for this character to do this. And this would have been a stronger way for this character to do this. So I feel like you should be like writing screenplays. I should be the showrunner. I yeah, should be, should be the I should replace okay. these like um, these longhouse maidens that are running the shows and keep them based. You know, yeah. I can right. be like, the, I'll be the opposite of the sensitivity reader. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, well, and that's what, <laughs> well, that's what developing executives that used to be their job. Is to yeah, be, right. Is to be the opposite of the sensitivity reader. The, the insensitivity exactly, reader. Yeah, that's the point. That that's exactly your point. Is that like 
good art is the opposite of the sensitivity reader. You know, that is, you know, Isaac, we may have just stumbled on, uh, that would be like a good um, title for a sub stack for me, like the insensitivity reader. Insensitivity reader. There you go. There you go. And and all you do is just poke holes and be like, this would have been better here. This would have been better there. I think that's. Thank you, Isaac. If you know, you know, I don't know if you have any kind of um, uh, line to Lomez, but I think that the next passage prize, I think they should add a screenwriting um, uh, uh, contest as well. I mean, they got the poetry, they got the fiction, they've got visual art. I think it'd be really interesting to see some people start. To, I would love to see like Zero HP Lovecraft submit a screenplay. Well, I, might, I, would, they, I would probably, if they did that, I would probably try to as well. I think that they were considering uh, doing films. Uh, oh really? In some way, but that but that was like too complicated, and sure. so. But you're right that maybe just screenplays that would be that would be the best, and you know you could judge it or. Something. I mean, if if I will, I, if if they want me to judge it, I would be honored, or I will be I will happily um, uh, submit a screenplay. Yeah, you also guys should watch this movie Bolt Driver. It's like the the URL is just Bolt Driver LA. And it's this, right. it's it's amazing that you just it is exactly what you just said, and it's kind of based. It's not really based, but it's like kind of based, and it's about like an incel in L.A. Travis Bickle, except yeah. he drives for an Uber company instead of a. <laughs> and it's like his, the the his crush is you know the object of his affection is a, works at the Trump office. <laughs> oh my God. Right. <laughs> it, it, it's really like very i can't believe it was made it's it's uh it's pretty cool i mean it's i don't know everybody else in my like, it's kind of doing the rounds around here and everybody like loves it i'm a little less like i don't think it's like that good but it, you know it's it's pretty good i'll definitely check it out it sounds sounds promising very cool cool dude well hey thank you so much uh for this i think now is probably a good time to stop i think that was a, a great combo i really am excited for more of your videos i it, you know they're the kind of thing that you can just put on on a long trip or a long walk and just really get into because they're very well told and use a lot of great examples and they're very entertaining you know they're not that's what i'm saying like don't get too far into philosophy and it's just blah 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 mm. We have plenty of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Isaac, I mean, I really appreciate it. And I I didn't get a a chance to to compliment you, but I've been, I've been consuming your, your back catalog on on the carousel and um, you're, you're a great interviewer. So I would love to have you on my channel at some point. Maybe I can get, get you, give you uh, uh, time to talk about your, you know, origin story how you were how you were born into your second life as a right. online shit poster you know <laughs> yeah i'm a i'm a face bag though so it's a little bit of a different it's true it's bit. true it's not like full you know superhero with the with a mask but. no well that's why i tweeted today after i was listening to your stuff for two days i was like anons are superheroes it's like that's it's the exact same thing I guess yeah. the same the same instinct that normies have for superheroes is what we have for anons. And <laughs> yes. it's like they yeah, they because they don't have to really be human, you know, they're kind of like superhuman, like literally speaking. Um yeah. 
But I don't know. We'll see about that. I do think, and this will be, a, I think the Anna, what do you make of the whole Anon debate? Uh, you know, I don't, I, I like, honestly, I think you being on camera with your name is, is a lot more heroic than what I do. I just am paranoid and my wife is terrified of the stuff I get up to online. And so here I am. I mean, I do, I, I will say, I, I do think that there's a bit of symbiosis. I, I find that people's avatars and their names often complement and enha- enhance their content. Um, and that's, that's always kind of interesting. You know, like when I, I, I interviewed Zero HP Lovecraft a while ago, and we were kind of talking about this phenomenon of like, you know, the avatar as writer. And I, you know, I said, I'm like, you know, if it ever came out that like your real name is like, Roy Lipschitz. Like, <laughs> I feel like something will have been lost, you know? <laughs> like, I want him to remain zero HP Lovecraft. The funny thing is, it's like, oh, God. I, you know, it's like, I, my, it probably is like that, unfortunately. You know, I mean, I, I'm not talking about zero specifically, but, you know, anytime you have this, in a way, it's more honest because any public figure is not who you think they are, right? Any public figure is not the, the, you have a, they are heroes in the sense that they're not real, right? Right. You don't see the real person. And as soon as you see the real person, you're like, ugh, you know, like this is not really what I was expecting or wanting, you know? Um, But uh, so in a way, being an anon is almost more honest because you're just not, there's no pretense. You're not pretending to be this figure, right? right? I um, think as long as the Anon, like, I, 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 I totally agree and I hear what you're saying. And I think as long as the, the anonymous, like the avatar, the name, it should all be something that sharpens the tone of what you have to say. Hmm. You know, like zero HP Lovecraft is, and it's funny because when you talk, when you talk to people, it's often, they have very just kind of like natural, organic serendipitous stories where like their brand is not necessarily something that they, they, they thought through or they labored yeah. over. Uh, yes. It sort of like arose naturally. And yet, and then yet it's just, it's the perfect complement to what they create, you know? Yeah. I think as long as, and, and, and in that sense, I don't, I think you're right. I don't think it's a mask. I think it's, and I don't want to say brand either. I mean, I know you're, you're you're in marketing, but brand seems to like cheapen it a bit. But it is it is more of like a superhero costume, right. you know. It it's um, it's something that heightens the flavor of you know, what, what people are trying to do. Totally, it like becomes this. It is a brand. I mean, it, it it's it's in every way a brand, and not in the not in the crappy sense, but in the cool sense that it's like it encompasses this almost metaphysical i mean it's not actually metaphysical but it's like it encompasses like a thing in our minds that is so much more than uh, you know an individual um yeah. on the other hand i don't buy the it, i less and less do i buy the oh but it's the way it has to be you know i mean i, I think for people like you it's great because you've been able to experiment and, you know, it provides OPSEC for people who are just like, look, I don't want to ruin my entire life by posting one video, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. which is completely understandable. 
But the problem is that also is the reason why it exists. It's like, since we can do it, it became, that's also why we can't talk about not to return to not being able to speak. We also can't speak because it's so easy for us to speak anonymously, right? If it was, if it was impossible for us to speak anonymously as it was, you know, 20 years ago, less, uh, it would be very, very different. And people always say, oh, well, what about, you know, Samuel Clemens? Uh, everybody was a student. Yeah, you're talking about, first of all, a very small minority of people. And even then, not a single one of those guys was anonymous their entire lives. You know, they were yeah. anonymous for a short period and then they weren't anymore. So, right, right. Yeah, totally. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, even if all of my, if all of my worldly fears suddenly disappeared tomorrow, like if I wasn't worried, like if money was no longer an object or, you know, I, I there was no reason to fear being doxxed i still feel like and there you know there's no reason not to let down the the you know pseudonym i don't know i'd still like i I, i'm sentimental about it now like (laughs) yeah right it's like like right right, exactly it's like something yeah it's yeah it's almost like a better name Um, yeah yeah like i was really sad when like sargon of akkad start like started like being insisting that he's just carl benjamin now I was like, no, dude, like you're Sargon of a cod. That's so much more epic. Yeah, than Carl Benjamin. That that is a very good example of that. Like it's like, yeah, I see Carl Benjamin. I'm like, eh. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. So <laughs> no, I think you're right. It's it's interesting. I do think this will be a phase though. You know, I think I think we'll look back at this time in, you know, 50 years, and it'll be like, oh man, remember the remember the Anon phase? You know, yeah. like, oh, that was hilarious. <laughs> like, remember Bronze Age Burr? That was fucking weird. You know, like, like I think that's I don't think we're going to be doing it for, for that much longer. You know, I mean, these fucking people, they can't be in control for that much longer. At least this group. I don't see it, at least. It is it is funny imagining like future like year 2300 academics talking about like, you know, cockfighter 29. Yeah. Yeah. No, it'll be great, though. I mean, they, they'll fucking love it. They'll be like, oh, wow, what an interesting, you know, what an interesting time in culture. They, they, they won't be able to get enough of it. You know, there'll be some revival. It'll probably, you know, yeah, there'll be in 100 years, there'll be a revival of it. Yeah. Um, all right, man. Well, dude, thank you so much. I'll put everything. Uh, yeah. Why don't you just say really quick where, where you are and where we can find you? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you if anybody searches last things on um on on YouTube, I think I'm like come up right after one video about um the Holy Sacrament and uh uh last things four on 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 Twitter. Um and yeah, this was this was a lot of fun, Isaac. So, we'll let's do it again soon. Uh yeah, okay, awesome. Um yeah, all right. Sounds good, man. We'll talk to you soon. So yeah.